0: Uh, everybody, and hold that thought that we sang just a second ago. I know, I know I've been changed. Because we're thinking about this morning, who am I now? Last week we talked a little bit about what's uh, essentially really important. Do you remember me on the operating table? You chop off my arms and my legs, hey, it's still me. If you gave me a heart transplant, my kidneys and liver changed, would it still be me? Yes, it would still be me. Somewhere deep inside is me. Would you find it? No. It's too precious to be physical. It belongs to the spiritual world. Deep inside me is the person who I am. And when I die, that's the bit that leaves my body. I know I'm alive because my inner person is still connected to my body. And I hope that's true for the rest of you. But when we were born you remember that our inner person that was designed by god always to be connected to him wasn't when you and i were born into this world because we live in a broken fallen world your inner person that was always designed to be connected to god wasn't the bible says we are dead spiritually dead physically alive yes but spiritually dead God's plan had always been that we would be both physically and spiritually alive. The moment, though, you became a Christian was a defining moment. Because instead of being spiritually dead, that is your inner person not being connected to God, you became spiritually alive. Now, if you don't think that much happened when you became a Christian you have far too small a view of what actually took place. The Bible tells us that when we become Christians, everything changes. Not just a little bit of change, not just a large bit of change, everything changes when we become Christians. And if you haven't thought of it like that, I'd suggest that your view of what happened to you and to others is too small. The Bible describes it that there's such a change that the old has gone and the new has come. Not a little bit of new, the new has come and the old has gone. Can you be partly an old creation and partly new? No. The Bible says that you were once darkness, but now you are light. Can you be dark and light? No, you are either dark or light. The Bible says that uh, you have been rescued from the uh, dominion, from the control, from the arena of darkness, and been brought into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. Can you be in both kingdoms? No, you got the idea. And so every time the Bible talks about uh, Christian conversion, it is a total and utter transformation. It makes Christianity the most relevant thing on our planet. Because everywhere you look, people are asking and seeking for a complete change, a complete transformation. Gene Kilbourne, the social theorist, writing about adverts, says this, ads gleam with promises of transformation and transcendence. They can't possibly deliver those things. Physical things cannot possibly deliver those things to us, but it pulls on our deep-seated need for a complete change, and it grabs our attention because we are looking for this complete transformation. Excuse me. If you nose nick my glass... An amnesty on all church glasses, you may return them with no questions asked. Complete transformation. Now, how do you think of yourself? Would you describe yourself as a sinner, yes, saved by grace? Yes. Hands up if you feel that you're a sinner saved by grace. Most of us, if not all of us, will raise our hands to say, that's me. I'm a sinner, I've fallen, and I'm saved, God has saved me, and it's by grace because I couldn't do anything to be saved myself. But here's an interesting verse in Romans, uh, Romans 5 verse 8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The implication is that there was a time past when we were sinners, and that that is now no longer the case. When you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you certainly were a sinner, if you don't mind me saying, and so am I. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And you were saved by grace, I trust, as you put your trust in Jesus Christ. But if you're no longer a sinner, then who are you? Well, in the New Testament, in the Bible, over 300 times, the Bible refers to unbelievers, those who've not yet believed in Jesus, as sinners. And on the other hand, believers, those who have put their trust in who Christ is, over 200 times, it describes us as holy ones, or righteous ones, or saints. Saints. You never thought in a Baptist church, you could become a saint. But you're a saint. It's not just a title that the Bible uses. Oh, well, let's call them saints. It reflects the fact that the moment you became a Christian, even if you're not absolutely sure when that moment was, you look back and you can tell that over a period of time that you've put your trust in Christ. We are called saints because the Bible says that the moment you became a Christian, you became deep down in the core of your being a new person. Your very nature, who you are deep, deep down, changed. From being someone who was dead towards God and therefore could never please God, to someone who was alive towards God and therefore could begin to know him and to love him. Deep down, you actually changed. One lady put it like this, and I think we can relate to what she's saying. She said, I used to think of myself as a filthy dog because I knew all the things that were wrong with me deep down. I knew all my dirt and my muck and my crud. And when I became a Christian, it was like I put a white coat on that covered all the crud in my life. But as I walked the journey with Christ, I began to understand, what she says that I was not an abomination, her words to God, I was not this filthy dog, I'm starting to realise that when I became a Christian, deep down in the core of my being, I actually became a clean dog. And I don't know what you thought of that phrase, the robe of righteousness. It's easy to think of it as the robe that we put on to kind of cover all the dark things inside us. No. No. God gives us a righteous robe, because deep down inside, that's what he's made us. When the prodigal son came home, and and the father put the son's robe on him, it wasn't to make him a son, he put the robe on him because he already was a son, deep down. We are saints, because deep down at the core of your being, when you trusted Jesus Christ, you were made new. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament has only got how many chapters? six thank you paul and how many times does it mention paul that we're in christ you've got no idea and i wouldn't expect you to 40 times in six chapters it says you are in christ the deep part of you has actually fundamentally changed because christ can't be near anything that's sinful because he is pure and holy but deep down he's in you when you received him into your life and he cleansed the core of your being and made you brand new One pastor, you know how pastors do cheesy things, don't they? In order to push the point home, made everyone wear a badge with their name Saint, you know, Saint Christine and Saint Hyacinth and so on. And there's always one in a church that refuses to do it, isn't there? No, there's always lots, you know. Not doing that. And this bloke sat in the corner with his arms folded. He would not wear the badge that was for him. And eventually, after a while, people go, why are you, come on, join in. It's more and less embarrassing now for you to join. Why not? My name's Bernard. (laughs) We are saints. Which means we're not just forgiven. I don't take forgiveness lightly. That's a massive thing, isn't it? That God should forgive us. But we're saying we're not just forgiven. We are a brand new person. A whole new person person. Now if you think of yourself as a forgiven sinner, but still a sinner, what are you likely to do? What a sin- thank you. What do sinners do? Sinners sin. If you want to change your behaviour, you have to see yourself as much more than just forgiven. We've all met Christians, and maybe you recognize it in yourself, really struggling with one kind of sin or another. And you talk to them, and they're consumed by their own sin. I, I, I did it again. And I did it again because I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm fallen. And I know I'm going to keep on committing this sin because I'm a sinner. And so it goes on. We might just as well bang our heads against the wall. Because we create the text that feeds our own sense of sinfulness and therefore we sin again we keep on sinning because we have designed a belief system that keeps reminding ourselves that we are sinners get out of bed in the morning i'm a miserable sinner what do sinners do sin i sin therefore i go to bed at night thinking well i sinned therefore i'm a miserable sinner and i get up in the morning and i'm a miserable and and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy And we've all heard Christians say, well, I'm just a sinner. Three things about that. The Bible never, ever, ever says it of Christians. Never, ever that you're a sinner. It does not use that term anymore to describe you. Secondly, if it's all we think about ourselves, it's all we'll ever be, as I was just saying. And thirdly, God doesn't see us as sinners anymore. Oh, thank you. I thought we needed a hallelujah or or a hooray or how utterly fantastic that is. Why don't I say that again, all right? And you go hooray as if you spontaneously thought about it by yourself. And for a moment, I'll just believe that that's true and we'll all be happy, all right? God doesn't see us as sinners anymore. It's fantastic, isn't it? I spent all my life thinking, well, not all my life because I got this stuff, but you know you've got thinking, I can't make the grade, I can't reach the standard, but God doesn't see me as a sinner anymore. But as a brand new person, deep down at the core of me, my nature has changed. And if we want to change our lives, we're going to have to see ourselves as more than just forgiven. Suppose you were a prostitute, and you found out that one day, the king had issued a decree saying that all prostitutes were forgiven. Wow, that's good news. Wow, I feel so, you're forgiven. But if that's all the decree said, would it change how you saw yourself? Probably not. You would still be a prostitute. Would it change your behavior? Probably not. That's who I am, so that's what I am do. But what if the decree from the king said that not only has he forgiven you, but he wanted you as his bride to make you a queen? Would that change how you saw yourself? Of course. I'm no longer a prostitute. I'm a queen. Would it change the way you behave? Of course it would. Why would I ever want to go back to that kind of life if now I'm a queen? You're not just forgiven. You've been made brand new as a saint in God's kingdom, the bride of Christ. And we've tended to think in our gospel presentation so often that it's all about the future, that it doesn't really ramp up, the change doesn't really ramp up until we get to heaven. So there's two people standing side by side, one's a Christian and one isn't. And the only real difference is that when they die the Christian goes to heaven and the non-Christian doesn't. But if that's all we believe about ourselves, we'll live just like the non-Christian. So much more. You've been changed now already. You are already a saint, already in Christ. Becoming a Christian is so much more. Remember the problem that we were spiritually dead. If you are already spiritually dead, or if you are already dead, for example, and you want to save someone who is already dead, there's at least two things that you have to do. First of all, you have to find the the cure for whatever killed the person, whatever made them dead. In our case, sin makes us spiritually dead. You have to find a cure for sin. The Bible tells us Jesus died on the cross to cure us from sin. But if you find a cure for something and that person has already died of it, it's too late, isn't it? Fantastic if we can find a cure for AIDS, but too late for those who have already died. So if you actually really want to save someone who's already died from something, and we've already died from sin, you not only have to cure what we died from, but you have to give us a brand new life. Somehow raise us from the dead again. And that's exactly what he's done. Hooray. Hooray. Cured us from the thing that killed us and raised us to life as God intended us to be. When you think you just prayed a little prayer, and you signed the card at the Billy Graham meeting or wherever it was, and you said yes to Jesus, it seems such a little thing from you, but it was a massive thing from God. A brand new beginning deep inside. A fundamental change. And defeat in life comes from not realising that we are these brand new whole people. Not just forgiven, but brand new. And do you know, nobody, not even Satan, can do anything about that. Yeah. He can't do anything about it. That's actually what happened to me. When I became a Christian at 11 years old and three quarters, and I was as tall as this, when I became a Christian then, Something fundamentally happened in me that nothing can ever, ever alter. I became in Christ. All of heaven, the inheritance with which Jesus died, became mine. And no one could do anything about it, not even Satan himself. But if he gets me to believe that I haven't got all that, then I'm not going to live in the fullness of it. So he spends a lot of his time, and let's face it, he doesn't need much help. We usually do it for him getting us to believe that what we've actually got in Christ, we haven't really got. You're a sinner. Look at what you did today. And if I believe I'm a sinner, I'll go to bed with a heavy heart and I'll wake up to fulfill that again the next day. He's got me. It's not true, but he's got me. No child of God is inferior or useless. But if he can get you to believe that, And let's face it, he doesn't need much help. We do a pretty good job of that ourselves. How will we act if that's how we feel? No child of God is abandoned or or dirty. But if if he can get us to believe that that's true, then he's got us. It doesn't alter the truth, but I don't want the truth to be true and not to live in it, do you? You know, if God's won all this on the cross for me, I want to live in the fullness of it now. Why? So that I might be everything God wants me to be, so that I might make a difference in his world. Show me a defeated Christian, and I'll show you someone who has not grasped the truth about what God has actually already done in their lives. Many of us have never really got hold of the fact that we're being forgiven once by God, and that's done and dealt with forever. No condemnation nation you say you don't know what's been done to me i don't care no condemnation in christ in this context i don't care i mean you say you don't know how bad i've been i don't care in christ it's all been dealt with you say you don't know what failures i've had as a christian you don't know what i might go on to do in the future well when christ died for your sins all of them were in the future all covered but sometimes we live as if it's not true. A friend and I seize the excuse uh, we can have to lunch together. Uh, for me, it's an oasis when uh, we share our hearts and our dreams, our life and our faith, our struggles and our hopes. Uh, and generally, on a good day, we eat as much as we possibly can in the process. As uh, Christmas seems to be the moment when everybody uses it as an excuse for everything. We also said, well, we better have lunch together. So the week before Christmas, we went out and we had lunch together. And the restaurant was packed because it was the week before Christmas and everyone was doing their, their bits and pieces and their things. And we ate our meal and we shared our hearts. And, uh, and then I did what all Christian ministers excel at. I left for my next appointment just before the bill came. And uh, would you like lunch with me this week? Uh, and, and, and out I went uh, leaving him to it the bill arrives and uh, my friend attempts to pay only to be told don't worry somebody has already paid your bill wow how fab is that how weird gets on the phone hey the bill's already paid Whoa! how cool is that and then we start thinking scanning in our minds everyone that was in the restaurant did we know somebody who might that be spooky who might that be What generous benefactor was there looking in the darkness? How fab. We had no idea. And then, think of the dilemma of my friend left in the restaurant. The weirdest feeling, just sitting there, rather helpless. He could have insisted on paying, but how utterly pointless would that have been? The bill had already been paid. All he could do was accept the fact that what the restaurant owner said was true, was actually true. And to accept that fact, he had to get up and walk out the door. How tragic to spend our lives insisting we still need to pay, when actually we can just get up and walk out the door to the new thing that God has for us. But sometimes we're still in that restaurant. Can I do the washing up? Would that help? You know, I've got more, you know, I'll pay. No, it's been paid. Somebody has paid. Jesus has paid. You do not need to live your life trying to pay. You cannot possibly pay. We might have stood a chance if we'd emptied both our pockets of paying that bill, but the bill that we've got, to, we could not pay. Jesus paid. You are not saved by how you behave, insisting on that the bill still needs to be paid. You are saved by what you believe. By what you believe. And when you believe differently, you behave differently. When you believe differently, you behave differently. And to say the bill hadn't been paid was tantamount to calling the restaurant owner a a liar. And when we live like our debts to God have not been paid, we're making him out to be the same thing. So what happens when I sin? You see, the problem we have, really, isn't it, about thinking of ourselves as saints rather than sinners, is that we're painfully aware that sometimes we sin. Anyone here like me painfully aware that sometimes they sin? Because I could miss this whole section if it only applied to me. You know, we're just so acutely aware that every moment, every twist and turn, intentionally, unintentionally, very deliberately, and totally unconsciously, we sin. Now, some of you sing, don't you? You sing in the shower, you sing when you're driving your car. Does that make you a singer? Now, I've heard you. No, let me tell you. It does not make you a singer. It does not define you. Hey, the day of your sins defining you is over. The fact that you sometimes sin and you do, that's a truth, but it no longer defines you because at the core of your being, God has given us a new nature. Thank you. We've been changed deep on the inside. The very core of our being, we now share God's nature. We've become completely new. So what happens uh, when I sin, and uh, sin I do, Uh, and I, I kid myself. I kid myself if I say that I don't. I write this to tell you so that you will not sin. Actually, Christ has given us all the resources not to sin but we do from time to time. So let's keep real about it. Being a saint does not mean we live in this perfect utopia, because in fact if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not uh, in us. We're fooling ourselves. So we know that we sin, but this is the defining marker. We are saints who sometimes sin. We are saints who often sin, if you're more comfortable with that. That's more the reality. But you are a saint. And God is longing for you to know who you are. And when you believe who you are, you will become what you are. Because we become what we believe, don't we? In all walks of our life, we become what we believe. So, when we sin, do we need to live in some kind of constant fear? that God's judgment is going to come upon us? When we sin, does the anger of heaven fall on us like a, a dread? No. The anger of sin causes fell on Jesus. We behave sometimes like we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. You will know that someone famous wrote a book about that. But it is not true. We are saints in the hands of a loving God. He calls you and me today to come into his presence, sprinkling our lives, cleansing our hearts, calling us to come with confidence because of the cross. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. None. None at all which is why shame has no place in our Christian faith. In prayer ministry, we talk a lot about shame. It ruins and rubbishes people's lives. It's not true. You do not have to live with shame because there's no condemnation in Christ. No list of what's held against you, no record of wrongs. It's simply been done away with. It's no longer an issue. Bringing it up is pointless. Beating yourself up about it is pointless. Done. Over. Over. Paul says, live up to what has already been attained. Live up to what is already true about you. Live up to your newness in Christ. Become what you already are. You see, the issue isn't beating myself up about the things I still get wrong and I do. The thing is not about me focusing on those things and saying I'm a poor old miserable sinner. It's about me learning who this person is that God already says I am. Old person gone, new person arrived. Reborn, rebirth, remade, reconciled, renewed. Now there's a sermon. Jesus in me and I in him. New. So when I do something that's less than part of the new, it's part of the old. So let me call it that. I've gone back to the old way, to the old habits, to the old patterns. And what happens? Does my relationship with God fall apart when I do? No. Our fundamental relationship with God always remains, even when I start picking up stuff to do with the old way. Always remains. And we get kind of scared that sometimes we've we've got our pit self in such a mess. Or maybe you've been coming to church for months now, only going through the motions, and you're thinking to yourself, I've messed this up so far. I am so far from God. It's all gone totally wrong. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian anymore. Where am I with this relationship with God? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you. When you put your trust in God, you became his child. That complete change. Can anything change? who your parents are? No. Nothing can alter your DNA that you had. You can disown your parents. You can fall out with your parents. Your parents might have died. Parents might have moved to the other side of the world. Are they still your parents? When you became a Christian and you became a child of God, he became your father. Can you do anything to change that? No. The Bible says his spirit lives in us and we share his very DNA. Hey, it cannot be changed. It cannot be messed with. That's why the Bible's full of great promises. Hey, nothing can snatch you out of God's hands. You'll always be part of his family. Nothing can push you so far away from his love because you're part of his family. You're part of his nature now. Because he doesn't ever condemn us. I don't know whether you came to church to worship a finger-wagging God today. Did you come to worship a God that's been uh, keeping a check this week and he's been very busy? Maybe you've come to God today thinking, well, okay, I'm going to do next week seven quiet times in a row. God will be chuffed with that. That somehow you can earn your way back into relationship with him. Do you ever make your kids do that? Earn their way back into rela- Oh, please No. You're just thrilled when the disruption in harmony has been healed and restored. God is just thrilled when we just come to him and say, oh, I've, I've been back to the old stuff. Sorry, God. Don't keep bringing it up. Don't keep churning it over. Don't keep going into the miserable sinner routine. God does not condemn. God does not condemn. And the key to becoming a mature Christian is to come straight back to God really quickly. What do you have to do to be accepted by God? absolutely nothing. Nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing, diddly squat, that you can do for God to accept you again. He just will, because that's the way he is. And if we don't understand this grace of God, we'll spend all our lives trying to pay the bill, We'll spend all our lives trying to get our way back with him, seven quiet times, and you know, the seventh one wasn't quite the full three hours, therefore he's probably not very happy because I said I was going to do three hours, and now I am. And we get in all this ridiculous cycle. He just says, I want you back. I want you back. I want you back. It's not what we do that determines who we are it's who we are that determines what we do which is why in the bible nearly all the new testament letters spend the first half of the letter talking about who we are in christ saying what we've become because if we understand what we become then we the rest will follow the right behavior will follow we go to the back of the book most of the time and get all the rules out and go am i doing that one am i doing that one am i doing that one therefore i'm living like a christian no God doesn't call us to live like or to act like Christians. He says, understand that you are a saint. Understand that you are in Christ and just live that way from now on in. But we make it a load of rules, don't we? The key to our growth is to understand who we are now. Do you want to grow more quickly? I hope at our hearts we all want to grow more quickly. It's about understanding, choosing to believe who we are. It's already been paid. We are forgiven, but not just forgiven. We've been made new on the inside, brand new.